0: see him through his own redeeming love For that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above And he leads his children all to the place where he is gone. Welcome to a very special Advent edition of Outside the walls. I'm your host Timothy Putnam. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith and the implications of our faith. And right now, in a special way, as we celebrate the incarnation, the coming of Christ, God with us, and we anticipate his coming at the end of the ages, we now prepare to live outside the walls. Oh, gosh, I tell you, um, normally this time of year, I'm really, really firm on all trying to only listen to Advent music. I listen to a lot of uh, Advent at Ephesus, uh, which is a wonderful uh, recording by the the Benedictines of Mary uh, out in, gosh, they're in Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Uh, They've got several. They've got a Lent, they've got an Advent, they've got a Christmas, great CDs. And generally, I I like to listen uh, to that CD over this season because it's all Advent music. Uh, I've not done well this year. Normally, I put off the Christmas carols until we get to Christmas. Uh, but this year, I'm helping out with uh, with a friend of mine uh, who's not Catholic. He's going to the seminary that I went to uh, back in my Protestant days, and we're living back in that same area. And so uh, I, I'm going to be assisting them uh, as they approach Christmas. We're going to do a carol sing. And so I've been trying to brush up on my uh, my piano skills um, and remember the lyrics to all those, all those uh, Wesleyan uh, Christmas carols uh, so that I can, I can help them celebrate uh, in the best way they know how. And then, of course, uh, right after that, we're going to be getting in the car, driving out to the beautiful Colorado Springs. And uh, we're going to enjoy ourselves, enjoy our Christmas uh, with family. We're going to hit Midnight Mass at the cathedral, take as many non-Catholics as we can with us because um, there's just something absolutely stunning and captivating about that liturgy. I know so many Catholics who their first experience with the church was, uh, was that, was East, either Easter Vigil or Christmas uh, Midnight Mass. So we're going to hit Midnight Mass with uh, Bishop Sheridan out there in uh, Colorado Springs and uh, we'll be out there for a couple of weeks because uh, my oldest daughter, who we've had on the show, I guess this uh, November last year, uh, she is getting married. So I feel old. I do. I'm, I've hit that place. You know, I've got my oldest uh, with with my wife is, is eight years old. And so I've got all these young kids at home. But from my Augustinian youth, uh, I do have a 22 year old. And, uh, I tell you, it, it makes me feel a lot older than I am. Uh, so yeah, that's a, it's going to be a very interesting <laughs> Christmas season for us as we'll be on an extended, uh, not quite a vacation. I'll still be working. We'll still be doing a show here, but an extended, uh, away time from, from the beautiful Kentucky Hills. So yeah, uh, Christmas, I have, I've been playing a lot of Christmas carols. We're going to actually, as we get into the Christmas season, I'm not going to do this to you beforehand, but we're going to talk about our favorite uh, Christmas carols as we get into the Christmas season, probably with that show uh, on Christmas Eve. We'll start, uh, because we, you know, we've been all throughout Advent. We've been doing uh, the readings for the Sunday of Advent that follows the Saturday show because I want to be on the front end of the week and not the back end of the week as we talk about Advent. So tomorrow, of course, we start the, the third week of Advent. Uh, it's the week of joy, Gaudate Sunday. Gaudate, of course, is the, uh, the, the, the Latin word for joy or rejoice. Uh, and so tomorrow, um, they light the rose candle, they wear the rose vestments, Uh, A lot of people think that the rose candle is the fourth candle because, you know, dark purple, dark purple, dark purple. Oh, we're almost there. It's rose. But no, not quite. No, actually, the rose candle is on the third week of Advent. So if you've got your own Advent candle, Advent wreath at home, make sure that tomorrow uh, and for the whole week of that third week, you light the rose candles. Two purples and one rose candle for that whole week and then, of course, the last week. Is the candle that's left. It's the purple candle. Uh, Do you do Advent routine uh, at at your home? Uh, If you've got kids, do you gather them together and light the candles and and talk about Advent? Do you read? Uh, Some people do Jesse trees. Uh, We're doing the Jesse tree for the first time this year uh, as a family. We've done it with our our parish before. But uh, my wife is really into this because you have to make an ornament (laughs) for every day. During Advent, and she's she's going whole hog in. I mean, I'll I'll see if I can get a couple of pictures and put them up. But I mean, she is really going for this thing. Uh, Of course, that sits on top of the piano, and we've got the little plush Advent wreath. I mean, we do so much Advent; it's just not even funny. Uh, And then every night we're doing uh, bedtime routines uh, of Advent, and we've got them on Facebook Live. And, uh, man, if you're not a friend of mine yet over on Facebook, you, maybe you follow the show, uh, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. That's great. Uh, but what you need to do to get this Advent stuff, and maybe I'll put a link to that as well. But uh, friend me. I will friend you. Friend me over at uh, facebook.com slash Timothy L. Putnam. Timothy uh, L. Putnam. And so th- as you friend me, you'll be all, you'll be able to see all of those... Uh, evenings, and we've, we've only missed one so far. We put them all up on Facebook Live, and we sit around at night, and we uh, light the Advent candles, and we do the readings from the Mass of the day, and, uh, and then we sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, the kids are learning it in Latin for school, and so that's what we've been doing. We've been doing, uh, for the most part, the first ver- first week we did the first verse the second week we've done the second verse of course starting tomorrow we'll break into that third verse and then they've only learned three verses in latin so then the fourth week we're doing it in english right because that was my 7-year-old's idea uh, so yeah that's uh we've really gotten into this turning our bedtime routine into something that helps them anticipate. We talked about that a little bit last week, but you get to be a part of that if you want just by going over to Facebook. Send me a friend request. I will add you, uh, no questions asked, and you'll get to participate with us each night as we do our advent. Now, one of the things you'll notice is that I'm an awful parent because our bedtime routine, some nights it's at 8, some nights it's at 8.30, some nights it's at 9 because uh, we have six kids and we have a pretty good structure of how the day goes, but it's not really nailed to the clock with, uh, with German precision. So, uh, join us in that. Uh, and feel free to leave your comments. That the wonderful thing about Facebook Live is that you get to interact with it as it's going on live. One of the awful things about Facebook Live, and I'm just going to rant for a second, uh, is that it flips the, uh, the picture, and so everything's always backwards. But since you're not having to read anything on the screen, uh, it'll be all right. So here we are. We're tomorrow approaching the fourth, the third, sorry, the third week of Advent. We're coming into the joy week. And I am, I am celebrating uh, here right now, uh, this, this joy week by <laughs> drinking some peppermint hot chocolate. So if you'll, pardon me, I'm going to get a little sip here. Just, I oh, don't know. It's gonna okay. mm. so what's your favorite Christmas drink, uh, Advent drink? Um, are you, are you a Starbucks peppermint latte. Are you a hot chocolate person? Are you, do you like eggnog? What's your, what's your thing? Why don't you come over and tell me over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. If you have something just particularly good, um, then you should give me the recipe. Uh, in fact, I was, I was scrolling through Facebook earlier this week and a friend of mine who we've had on here before, John Wilkes, uh, we were talking and he said that, uh, his, his, let's see if I get this right. Uh, his wife made eggnog pancakes, which sounds delicious in and of itself. Uh, eggnog pancakes and candied bacon. Now I've I've never heard of candied bacon. This is a, this is a new thing to me. So I asked him for the recipe. I, he hasn't responded yet, but I'm going to see if I can't find out because that just sounds amazing. Uh, Christmas, uh, you know, this Advent time, this as we approach Christmas, this is the time where you you break every. Um, Every diet that you have ever had, uh, because there's those are traditional candies that you have. For, for me, it's uh, turtles, right? You got to have those homemade turtles with dark chocolate and caramel and, and pecans because that's what makes Christmas. Uh, and of course, it's awful for me because we do the stockings on the 6th of, uh, of December on St. Nicholas Feast Day. So I, I have already burned through uh, a stocking full of candy and I'll pay for it later. I will uh, but right now tis the season uh, tis the season deck the halls and uh, and eat lots and lots of candy so <laughs> this week uh, this week we're going to be talking about joy and about the power of uh, of our stories right uh, there's all kinds of stories that that kind of permeate our, understanding of this season. There's the the Santa Claus story that we tell to our children. Uh, there's the story of Jesus coming and his birth. There's the story of the wise men. There's the story, you know, we, we have all of these stories that these narratives that we wrap our season in. And I do want to let you know that if you've got any, uh, any sensitive listeners around, any small children uh, who, who don't want the, uh, the spoilers, as it were, uh, as we get into these next couple of segments, we are going to be kind of dissecting these stories just a little bit. Uh, and so if that's not something that you want them yet to hear, uh, the behind-the-scenes information, this would be a great time to, uh, to shuffle them off. Uh, or uh, remember that we podcast this episode over on iTunes, on the Google Play Store, and on Podbean. So if you uh, if you need to turn off the radio for a while, and uh, just to to maintain the the importance of uh, of our family stories, then that would be a good time. Because when we come back, we're going to talk with David Russell Mosley. He's the author of On the Edges of Elfland and has a, a Pathios blog by that same name. And we're going to talk to him about the power of these stories and what they teach us what what we learn from them and why they're important join into the conversation over on facebook.com step outside the walls twitter the handles at outside the walls come be a part of all we're doing here we'll be right back you're listening to outside the walls welcome back to outside the walls i'm your host timothy putnam just a reminder: we're talking about Santa Claus today, Saint Nicholas. So, if you got little ears, that'd be a great time to shuffle them out of the room. We have got a great show for you today. Here, as we tomorrow approach the third Sunday of Advent, uh, we you know we talked on the first week. We had uh, the reminder that all is not right with the world. That's what Advent kind of leads us toward. Uh, the second week, we were reminded that yes, all is not right with the world, but there is hope. For, for the world to be righted again. Uh, this week, we, we have the week of joy. Tomorrow, we're going to light that rose candle. Don't let anyone tell you it's pink. The, the priests are wearing rose vestments. Uh, and so tomorrow, we are celebrating what's called Gaudate Sunday. We call it Gaudate Sunday because that's the, the Latin for joy, rejoice. Uh, and that is the line in the antiphon. When you go into Mass, you'll hear that. They, they'll they probably say it in English, uh, depending on where you go to Mass. But um, yeah, this is, this is our week of joy. And so we have a great pleasure today. We're going to be talking with David Russell Mosley. Uh, he is the author of the book On the Edges of Elfland and uh, a, a rather a jovial person uh, himself. He's got that nice little curled up mustache, just, you know, just he needs to gain a few pounds and get a little older. He'll get that in the white. He'll look just like Santa Claus. It'll be perfect. Uh, David, thanks for joining us today.
1: Hey, I'm happy to be here.
0: Uh, and you're never coming back after that description, right? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit because um, we're going to kind of meld our, our seasons together. We're going to spend some time talking about Advent uh, when we get to it. I'm sure that we will. Uh, but what I want to talk to you about is our society around us, uh, since really since, uh, Halloween has been talking about Santa Claus and they have been, uh, fully invested in, in pushing forward, uh, the myth, the mythos, the story of Santa Claus and foisting it upon young children (laughs) and, uh, and, and by default then also upon their parents, uh, and we've seen this, and, and it's grown over the years because we have also now um, the elf on the shelf mm. who who is uh, like the CIA for <laughs> Santa Claus. Uh, and so society at large gets into this large-scale storytelling. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about, but r- rather than uh, really kind of, speaking negatively about the, the Santa mythos, uh, I want to spend some time talking about our human hunger for the myth, for the storytelling, uh, and, and how you, an academic, found your way, just like G.K. Chesterton before you, uh, into telling um, fantasyful stories.
1: I'm not sure how much more I like the description of, of me and Chesterton, because, of course, while I admire Chesterton completely... Uh, he was also a rather rotund man. <laughs> I'm not pretty really sure where we're going here. Next year to compare me to Aquinas, which again will be fantastic, but also fat. Uh, that aside. Uh,
0: it's the, tis the season. It's <laughs> the season.
1: It's the season, and I have indulged. Um, no, so that aside. So you're right. I mean, I've spent the last 10 years of my life uh, doing theological study, uh, finishing with a PhD, and yet – in the second year of that, I decided, you know what? Writing one book isn't enough. I'm going to write another one. Mm-hmm. And I wrote On the Edges of Elfland. I wrote this book uh, that deals with fairies and elves and goblins and all of these things. Uh, and so in a way, you know, what got me started on that was reading what Lewis would call the right kinds of stories right? when I was a kid. I, I cut my teeth on The Hobbit, on The Lord of the Rings. I read Greek mythology. I I read every single book on Greek mythology my elementary school library had, which admittedly Mm -hmm. wasn't many, but I read them all. Uh, And these stories helped to shape, helped to form the way I look at the world around me, Mm -hmm. right? They helped me to see that uh, my senses don't perceive everything. That when I look at a tree, I'm not just looking at a tree. I'm looking at something more, Uh something deeper, um, something that kind of, if you will, participates in the idea of tree beard. Right. That that participates in the idea of Ents to some extent. Um, Not to mention the fact that just as a tree, it participates in God's idea of a tree. You know, so reading these stories helped me to to what I think is see the world rightly. Now, some people think it's to see the world like a madman. Uh, and I'll take it uh, because I think we need a little madness, mm-hmm. right? We, we need folly uh, in, in the more jovial sense of it, not necessarily lady folly uh, from Proverbs.
0: Right now. Uh, you know, one of the things that I see and that I'm sure we'll get around to, you mentioned tree beard, you mentioned seeing a tree as it is, as well as anything else. But uh, uh, going back to that story, um, there's something about the characteristics of that character. This is, mm-hmm. by the way, if you have not read it or watched the movie, this is uh, a character from The Lord of the Rings, uh, which was by uh, J.R.R. R. Tolkien. And uh, we, we see in that character certain aspects of what it means to be a tree, right? You, yeah. you go out down to the, to the south. Uh, I've spent a number of my vacations going through the Southland and seeing the historic plantations. And you see these massive trees that have really endured wars and uh, droughts and floods and eons. And there's this uh, this stability to some of these trees that, you know, in suburbia we don't necessarily see because we plant it and it sprouts up and, and it's like, wow, look, uh, look at what I did. I did this tree. my. Um, and, and there's in suburbia, I think less of that picture of here are these staples that will outlive me. Yeah. So, so in that way, myth tells us something true that we couldn't just get to by, uh, by empirical observation.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Myth, myth in a sense is, is truth by storytelling, right? It's, it's, it's different from scientific investigation into something. Mm-hmm. But it's nevertheless telling us something true about whatever it is we're we're looking at through the lens of myth
0: now that's let's talk about that just for a moment. Let's define myth because right. very often we hear myth as basically a great, big, grand old uh, deceptive story that was told to us to keep us in line. That's, that's kind of the definition of the society at large.
1: Right. And we can see how, how it gets there when you come to understand certain stories as simply being about uh, not telling a story but, but trying to engender a certain feeling or a certain behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we look back now at, say, Grimm's fairy tales and we think that what they're about is telling children, oh, don't go out into the woods by yourself.
0: Or even uh, Santa Claus, since we're right here in the middle of society's thrust on this. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you, I'm going to control your behavior through a series of bribes and threats.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's that's where we've come to. But in reality, what myths began as, because really what we're talking about there is propaganda. We're not talking about myth anymore. We're we're talking about propaganda, you know. We're talking about about Captain America comics in the 1940s, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're talking about when we when we talk about Santa, for instance, in that way. But the true true myths um, are stories. Are stories that are meant to tell us something about reality that our senses can't immediately grasp. Mm-hmm. Uh, so taking Santa as as an excellent example, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of uh, – I prefer Father Christmas. It's the Anglophile in me. Um, although Chesterton had no problem calling him Santa Claus, so I don't know what to make of that. Uh, but I'm a huge proponent of Father Christmas. Uh, and the reason I'm a huge proponent of him is precisely because he can teach us truths about gratuity and about uh, uh, gratefulness. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You know, here we get someone who's a bit easier to understand than God because he's a person. Right. You know, but we still can't see him. We can still be trained in gratitude to someone unseen. Uh-huh. Uh, and we can be trained in 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 gratuity and in giving because this person spends his life making toys for children. Right. 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 This, this is a, he gets no monetary value out of that. Right. There's no real version of, of the Santa mythos that, that has him getting paid for his work. <laughs> um, he does this purely out of the goodness of his heart um, because he couldn't not do it. Right. It's just who he is.
0: And he has all these other people who assist him. Right. And he lives in in inhospitable environments just for us.
1: Right. And he comes down once a year to honor Christ's birth by giving us gifts and by reminding us to give gifts to one another. To me, I mean, there's nothing better for the Christmas season. There's no better way to celebrate the feast of the nativity, right? Because it is a feast. This is a time of celebration, a time to uncork the bottles of wine, to eat, you know, sating food. Um, And candy. Lots and and, lots of candy. And to give presents and receive, it's all part of that exchange. It's all part of this gift exchange that happens between us and others. I think it's absolutely perfect.
0: So, what is your perfect uh, Christmas as it relates to Saint Nicholas or to Santa Claus? Uh, as I said, our family we have him come on uh, on December sixth on his feast day. We celebrate with specula cookies and stockings. For other folks, Santa's the one who leaves the the stuff, the unwrapped presents under the tree. Growing up. Uh, supposedly Santa was the one who brought the stuff in our stockings, but I just kind of assumed he's the one who brought all the presents and I I didn't really think it through. Uh, what are your family's traditions as it comes to St. Nicholas slash Santa Claus? Why don't you come over to facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Let me know. I'd love to hear how you incorporate Santa Claus into your Christmas season. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be continuing this conversation with David Russell Mosley right after this. He's the author of On the Edges of Elfland, uh, a fairy tale for adults, both a book and a Pathos blog. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Just a reminder to you parents that today we're talking a little bit about Santa Claus. So if you've got little ears that don't need to hear what we're saying, now's the time to shuffle them out of the room. We're talking today with David Russell Mosley. He's the author of On the Edges of Elfland, a fairy tale for adults. Great book as well as a blog over on the Patheos Network. And and we're talking a little bit about the well here in the week of joy, right? We're coming right up on the third week of Advent, which is the week that we light the rose candle and we celebrate uh, joyfully for the coming of Christ. And we're talking a little bit about those those myths that our society has perpetrated uh, around that Christmas season and how we we participate with them. So when we became Catholic back in 2011, we we looked at this whole Christmas thing and said uh, kind of that Augustine, the stodginess of uh, I want to tell my children the truth on all things. And so what we do is uh, we we do our celebration of the Feast of St. Nicholas on uh, the 6th, on St. Nicholas Feast Day. We just had it. And we do our stockings on that day. Uh, and we tell them we do stockings because, and we read the story of St. Nicholas, uh, the the bishop of of Myra. Uh, and we talk about his life and and what things were legend and what things we know to be true. And the fact that he uh, punched a heretic, that's always fun. Uh, <laughs> Slappy holidays, as an article I once read said. Uh, and so we talk about this and then we give them their stockings. And, and they say, where did these presents come from? And we say, where do you think they came from? <laughs> so we don't specifically say that Santa Claus has come to the house or Saint. Nicholas has come to the house, but we on those specific presents that they find in their stocking on the sixth we 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 uh plausible deniability is kind of the rule of thumb. <laughs> Uh, it's, so that when the time comes and they're they're like Santa's not real, I'm like, did we ever say he was? <laughs> so I mean, that's the way that we've decided to do it. But I know that not all people have that that same compunction. In fact, you mentioned earlier, uh, G.K. Chesterton would likely have been the one who would have said, "Of course he's real, right?" Uh, and, and so there is there's uh, a diversity of legitimate opinions about how to handle this mythology. So talk to me. As you're talking to parents, as you are a parent, how do you balance this mythology of, um, of Santa Claus, or of whatever else we want to say around the holidays, with the narrative truth of the coming of Christ? And how do you do that in such a way that you don't um, uh, make people question the legitimacy of the narrative, maybe, or tie the two or conflate the two into mythology? Mm-hmm.
1: I want to start by telling a very brief story by all means. When I was a boy, I believed in Santa Claus. I would ask my parents if he was real and my father would always say no. And my mother would say yes, or at the very least that she believed in the spirit of Christmas. Mm -hmm. For me, neither of those answers was satisfactory. Santa was real. Every Christmas, one of the first things I'd do after running downstairs and seeing the presents, because uh, in my family, Santa's presents came unwrapped. Uh That's what distinguished them. Uh, But the first thing I'd do after that was I would run outside if it had snowed and look for, you know, tracks on the roof. Right. Right. I would convince myself that I heard bells uh, when fake Santas would come to events and so on. And that that was the, the sleigh that was riding off. I believed in Santa Claus until I was about 12 years old, which for most people is rather old for (laughs) believing in Santa Claus. (laughs) But here's the thing. Uh, Now, I I wasn't raised in a particularly Christian home. Uh, I wasn't antithetical to the faith, but, you know, we didn't go to any kind of church or anything like that. But I can tell you this, my belief in Santa Claus, rather than potentially destroying any possibility of believing in the reality of Christ and his birth prepared me for the reality of Christ. Believing in Santa, believing in this person who comes and gives gifts and does all the things that I talked about in the last segment prepared me for the God who Hmm. does all of those things, and in fact, the God who gives me the gift of my own being. Um, Chesterton has this great line where he says, you know, if I can be thankful for my stockings, why can't if children are thankful uh, to Santa Claus for their stockings? Why can't I be thankful to him for the miraculous gift of two legs to put in those stockings? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So for him, it's all about again, it's all about that that training and gratitude, that training. And and of course, what you have to do, I think, is just ensure that. As you talk about Santa Claus, as you talk about Father Christmas or whatever, um, or if you do St. Nicholas's Day, right? However you want to do something along those lines, if you want to participate in that, the key is always just to link it to the event that causes all of this, right? That it's the gift of God's son to us. This is why we give gifts. Right. We give gifts, not just for the kind of perfunctory and I think bad storytelling reason that, you know, the Magi gave Christ gifts. <laughs> uh, that's I mean, OK, I guess. But but no, we give gifts because this is a time to give things mm-hmm. right. This is a time to give to one another because we have that gift of Christ.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so it's it's about it's about not conflating the two and it's about not letting the two compete with one another but actually using the one to lead you into the other and really to an extent vice versa christ can lead us to to saint nicholas to santa claus to especially the person of saint nicholas and saint nicholas leads us right back to christ it's the whole point of saints anyway right is be embodiments of christ for us that are a bit more attainable for us right because they're not divine and human in the way that Christ was. But they still point us to Christ, and Christ points us right back to them.
0: Well, in some sense, there's also this <clears throat> this picture when looking at the life of a saint and seeing, as we talked about last week, seeing how screwed up they were, and yet they still made it to heaven. Well, right. gosh, there's hope for me. <laughs> Precisely.
1: Precisely.
0: So we're talking with uh, David Russell Mosley, author of the book On the Edges of Elfland, about mythos, about uh, storytelling— and how that leads us to truth. Let's talk just for a couple of minutes that we have left about your book on the edges of Elfland. This is a uh, this is not a story that you're going to probably read to your children. It's a fairy tale for grownups. Right. So how did you come to that? Uh, I mean, obviously you were believed in Santa till you were 12, so you're just not wanting to let go. But <laughs> you're, now you're wanting to to draw us into a world and tell us some truth that. That is on the adult level. Talk to us a little bit about how this came about.
1: Right. So the, the book actually technically began almost 10 years ago when I was a student uh, in a class on Lewis and Tolkien uh, had written most of it and then just completely put it aside. In the second year of my PhD, when I was working on uh, deification and human creativity, I thought, you know, it just seems fitting to write two books at once because, again, apparently I'm mad. Uh and I just started over from the beginning. And I really wanted to tell a story that that not only engaged me as a creator so that I was actually actively engaging in what I was theorizing about Uh in in my dissertation, but I wanted to tell a story that that gets at to an extent to the heart of all of this, because the story is about a young man who, when he was a kid, grew up believing fairy tales. You know, he believed in uh, he probably believed in Santa Claus. I don't get into that in the book. But, you know, he believed these stories that right. his, his godfather told him. And then for various and sundry reasons that the book will tell you about, he loses faith in those stories. He stops believing. And then when he comes back, when he is now grown, he's just finished college. He discovers the stories are real. And I wanted to tell this story that. That dealt with this, not so much loss of faith, not in not in any kind of direct you know, allegorical sense. This isn't an allegory about losing your faith and then regaining it. But it is a story about understanding that these these old stories, these old myths, these fairy tales that we've been told, they are true. They're not necessarily true in the way that, that they end up being true in the book. Right. But they are true. They tell us truth. They tell us things about reality that we can't get at in any other way, mm-hmm.
0: and I think that's an important distinction: that that something need not be factual to be true.
1: Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, this when we look when we look at scripture, for instance, and and here I'm I'm getting on potentially dangerous ground. But when when we look at <laughs> when we look at scripture, there are and I'll take I'll take the least potentially offensive uh, example actually no I will take the least potentially offensive example Tobit okay I was gonna go with job but we're gonna go with Tobit instead Tobit's one of my favorite books of the Bible it's wonderful you've got angels and demons and fish and it's it's it is a fairy tale I mean it reads exactly like a fairy tale
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we all come to Tobit knowing that this isn't outlining real events, right? This is a story and it's a story that's told to instruct us in truth. And part of the truth that it's there to instruct us in is that the world, the, the, the creation, right? The cosmos is not against us Uh that we have divine aid and we have it in the form of angels. We have it in the form of God himself. We have it in the form of other people, um, you know, and so, but it's a myth. It's a myth. It, it's not a record of a historical event about a person named Tobias, mm-hmm. right? And his father Tobit, but it tells us something true. It tells us many other things true as well. It's, but it's, but it's not a lie, right? And even you know, telling your kid Santa is real. That isn't a lie, because there's truth in that, and not just again in the perfunctory sense that well, Saint Nicholas was a real person mm-hmm. back in the fourth century. No, there's truth in the sense that that there is a person who gives gifts.
0: We've been talking today with David Russell Mosley, author of the book, On the Edges of Elfland, a fairy tale for adults. You still have time to get it before Christmas, stuff it in the stocking of your favorite person. David, thanks for being on the show today.
1: I was happy to be here.
0: Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. Why don't you join this conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Talk to me about your advent and Christmas traditions. And we'll be right back, right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking around. What do you want for Christmas? I mean that—that's really what Advent is about. It's about asking yourself, "What do you want for Christmas?" And we think about the presents under the tree, and we think about uh, all of the—the—the the, uh, the time with friends and family. And maybe you've got you call these things to mind because we, around Christmas, we play out these these uh, very familiar uh, scripts, right? We we know what Christmas requires of us, and so when we hear, "What do you want for Christmas?" we generally think of uh, those familial gatherings of the opening of the presents, of the, uh, the, the com- conversations we have around the dinner table and so forth. But, uh, but that's not what Advent's for. Advent is to ask yourself, what do you want? What do you want for Christmas? Think about the, uh, the, the, the man who, really, multiple people in Scripture who were approached by Jesus— and they were in need of some healing. They were in need of some, uh, some touch from the God-man. And Christ's first question to them is, what do you want? Or do you want to be made well? Or any, anything along those lines, this question of what is your desire from the Christ child, from the God-man? What, what do you want? And this is what Advent prepares us for. Uh, as we look at Christmas, not merely as this yearly event that comes around where we celebrate the birth of Christ and the incarnation where God became man. But, but more than that, that Christ is, is perpetually present. In fact, uh, we, we mentioned it last week. There's this great uh, reading from church history. We're not going to touch it today, but uh, about the three advents Of Christ, the three comings of Christ, and we talk about Christ having come at the beginning of all, uh, at at the incarnation, with that first Christmas. We talk about Christ coming at the end of all ages to redeem the whole world, and we talk about Christ coming to each of us on a daily basis uh, as we live out our Christian life. And so, this is what I want you to ask yourself: What do you want from Christ this Christmas? Not so much what's wrapped under the tree, but what does your soul need? What's the next thing? Uh, do you do you need uh, some deepening in your spiritual life, or are you experiencing experiencing a dark night of the soul where you just need to know Christ is still present? Do you need the gift of faith? Do what is it that you need from Christ this Christmas? And as we approach this third week of Advent, uh, remember there's just two weeks left until Christmas. We've got uh, this Sunday is the third Sunday tomorrow. And then uh, the fourth Sunday is one week away. And then Christmas this year is uh, on the Sunday. So we've got a whole one more week. Uh, that's not a lot of time to get your shopping done, but it's also not a lot of time to get your spiritual preparation done to say, what are the things, you know, I'm st- we get so busy with the going shopping, And with the making sure that everything's wrapped and in the right place, that that I think it can be very easy to miss uh, those things, those silent times to wait and to listen and to ask Christ, what is that thing that I need from you as we celebrate the incarnation? Because in the incarnation, God became man, God with us, right? Emmanuel means God with us. And so as we celebrate the Incarnation at Christmas, we remind ourselves again that it's it's in the present perfect tense. God with us, not was with us, not will be with us, but he is right now in the Incarnation. God is with us in Christ. Uh, and so we can approach him with these spiritual needs. We can approach him with these, these longings and these desires of our heart. Uh, the uh, The first reading tomorrow is going to come from the book of Isaiah, and it's this beautiful picture of Christ bringing redemption. And it says, The deserts and the parched land will exult. The steppe will rejoice and bloom. They will bloom with abundant flowers. They rejoice with joyful song. The glory of Lebanon will be given to them, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the hands that are feeble, make firm the knees that are weak. Say to those whose hearts are frightened, be strong, fear not. Here is your God. He comes with vindication, with divine recompense. He comes to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf be cleared. Then will the lame leap like a stag, and the tongue of the mute will sing. Those whom the Lord has ransomed will return and enter Zion singing, crowned with everlasting joy. They will meet with joy and gladness, and sorrow and mourning will flee. Now, this was written during a period of exile for the children of Israel when Isaiah wrote this. They were in the midst of oppression. They were in the midst of of being exiled from their home, being made slaves, uh, a subclass of people. And these were the promises of Christ coming to them. So where are you in your life? Are you in a place where you feel like you're on top of the world, where you feel exceptionally blessed? Or are you in a place where you feel the pinch the, just a little bit and the need for some redemption? Uh, this is what our, the, the season of, of Advent leading us up to Christmas offers us, this reminder that God is right now currently with us. So today's reading from church history comes from uh, a discourse on the Psalms by St. Augustine. And it touches on this, this question of what do you want for Christmas? What do you want from Christ this Christmas as we celebrate the Incarnation? And it talks about the desire of our heart constituting our prayer. And he says this, In the anguish of my heart I groaned aloud. There is a hidden anguish, which is inaudible to men. Yet when a man's heart is so taken up with some particular concern that the hurt inside finds vocal expression, one looks for the reason. And one will say to oneself, perhaps this is what causes his anguish, or perhaps such and such had happened to him. But who can be certain of the cause except God, who hears and sees his anguish? Therefore, the psalmist says, in the anguish of my heart, I groaned aloud. For if men hear at all, they usually hear only bodily groaning, and know nothing of the anguish of the heart from which it issues. Who then knows the cause of man's groaning? All my desire is before you, he says. No, it is not open before other men, for they cannot understand the heart. But before you is all my desire. Ah, if your desire lies open to him who is your Father, and who sees in secret... He will answer you. For the desire of your heart is itself your prayer. And if the desire is constant, so is your prayer. The Apostle Paul had a purpose in saying, pray without ceasing. Are we then ceaselessly to bend our knees, to lie prostrate, or to lift up our hands? Is this what's meant in saying, pray without ceasing? Even if we admit that we pray in this fashion, I do not believe that we can do so all the time. Yet there is another interior kind of prayer without ceasing, namely, the desire of the heart. Whatever else you may be doing, if you but fix your desire on God's Sabbath rest, your prayer will be ceaseless. Therefore, if you wish to pray without ceasing, do not cease to desire. The constancy of your desire will itself be the ceaseless voice of your prayer, and that voice of prayer will be silent only when your love ceases. For who are silent? Those of whom it is said, Because evil has abounded, the love of many will grow cold. The chilling of love means that the heart is silent, while burning love is the outcry of the heart. If your love is without ceasing, you are crying out always. If you always cry out, you are always desiring. And if you desire, you are calling to mind your eternal rest in the Lord. All my desire is before you, What if the desire of our heart is before him, but not our groaning? But how is that possible, since the groaning is the voice of our desire? And therefore it is said, My groaning is not concealed from you. It may be concealed from men, but it is not concealed from you. Sometimes God's servant seems to be saying in his humility, My anguish is not concealed from you. At other times he seems to be laughing. Does this mean that the desire of his heart has died within him? If the desire is there, then the groaning is there as well. Even if men fail to hear it, it never ceases to sound in the hearing of God. That reading comes from a discourse on the Psalms by St. Augustine. What is the desire of your heart? Maybe it's a need for some restoration in family. Maybe it's a, some need for financial provision. Maybe it's a a need for just the presence of God to be made fresh to you again. Maybe you feel a little dry. This is the time, this right now in this Advent, not to run away from that pain or that desire, not to 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 give in, but to press in even harder to make that desire a focus of yours. Even as obviously there are other things to be done, not to let that desire grow cold, because in that desire. That desire is your prayer. And God will hear you. God will hear you. You know, Christmas is that season of belief where we put out a little bit more, uh, a little bit more faith. So I encourage you, maybe you haven't been to Mass in a while. Make sure that you make it to, to Mass this Advent and this Christmas. Maybe you go to Mass every week, but it's been a while since you really paid attention. You really invested yourself in more than just saying the words. Why don't you spend some time, prepare yourself for Christmas, go to confession, uh, spend some time really putting life behind those words that we speak in the mass and see, just see if as you celebrate the incarnation of Christ, he becomes manifest to you as God with us, God with you. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio heard around the world on live streaming terrestrial radio and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.